Hey, good morning, church. If uh, this uh, week two of our sermon series on Romans 8, you may have begun picking up on some of the big themes of Romans 8. Romans 8, it's about a new life and a new father and a new future. And Romans 8 also tells us that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one who is empowering us and energizing us and leading us through these experiences with our, in our new life, with our new father, into our new future. The Holy Spirit is so essentially involved in our new lives in Christ that Paul begins our passage today by saying, so then brothers, we are debtors, debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, you will live. So he says we're debtors not to the flesh. What Paul is saying is we owe the flesh nothing. Nothing. The flesh has done nothing good for us. Our sin nature, that is. Our flesh, our sin nature tries to pull us into slavery and misery and death. Paul says have no ties to that. You owe no loyalties to that. He says, give yourself over to the Spirit. Yield yourself over to the Spirit. He leads you in freedom and joy and life. Give yourself to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit does so many things in our life, so many things in our life, and our passage this morning talks about three of them. And here's our outline for today. The Holy Spirit leads you into a war against sin. The Holy Spirit assures us that God is our Father. And the Holy Spirit leads us through suffering to glory. Let's talk about the first one now. The Spirit leads us into war against sin. For if you, the verse said, verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you, quote, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Flesh, flesh in this passage is referring not to this, like the matter of our bodies, the physicalness, not at all. God is not opposed to bodies, not opposed to material things. We're going to live in the new heavens and the new earth that have a great deal of physicality. We're going to have our bodies what this flesh is referring to is our broken human nature, our sinful human condition, the evil thoughts, the evil desires that still remain inside of us. You might say, well, I thought Romans 8 said that I'm a new creation. Why are we talking about this sinful nature that still lives inside of me? Well, yes, we are new. That's what Romans 8 said. But we're just not perfect yet. For those of us who are visual, kind of visual thinkers, it looks like this. The bottom the bottom phase. This is the three phases of a Christian's existence. The bottom phase, before Jesus. 
the middle phase after Jesus came into our life. The top phase, face to face with Jesus in the eternal state, when we die or when he comes back to get us, whichever happens first. The bottom phase, before Jesus, that's the past. The words Roman 8 uses to describe this phase of our existence is enslaved and dead. The middle phase, after Jesus came into our life, after we turned and trusted in him as our Lord and Savior, the middle phase, that's now. And the words Romans 8 uses to describe that phase of our existence is alive, free, new. The top phase, face to face with Jesus, that's the future, the eternal state. The words the Bible uses to describe that phase are glorified, without sin, like him, like Jesus, perfect. There's a green line on this too. The green line represents our spiritual growth journey in this middle phase, or I'm sorry, it, 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 uh, it, it illustrates our spiritual growth journey in any phase. Notice in the bottom phase, our spiritual growth journey, the green line is flat in the bottom because we are dead. The top phase, go all the way to the top, the green line is flat because we're perfect. Notice in the middle phase, this green line goes like this, up and down, that is when we are fighting sin. That is when we're training in godliness, 1 Timothy 4, 7. That's when we're growing to become more and more and more like Jesus. But notice as we do those things, the green line isn't a straight line up. It's more like uh, the stock market. It's up and down, it has good days, it has bad days. Life can be a little messy. And that's what we're living in today, Christian, in that middle phase. We're alive, we're free, we're new, we're just under construction. And God promises to finish the good work that he began in us. And it's not gonna be like one of those houses or building projects that never gets done. There's a lot of wonderful things happening in that middle phase. A lot of wonderful things happening in that middle phase. A lot of the New Testament is talking about our life in that middle phase. But we also experience some suffering in that middle phase because there's a new battle called spiritual warfare, but we have a new power through the Holy Spirit. Today's passage, and that's when we're fighting sin and training in godliness, Today's passage uses a word, a verb, a strong verb. In fact, in the continuous tense, like it keeps going and going and going and going. It uses a strong word to describe our role in that fighting sin in that middle phase. That word is kill. 
or in your Bibles, in the ESV, it says, put to death. Strong language, I know. Galatians 5.24 says, similarly, crucify the flesh with its passions and its desires. What God's saying is, we're not striving in this middle phase where the line's going up and down, though it's crazy, we're not striving to reduce the sin in our life. We're striving to kill it. We're striving to eliminate it. This word kill or crucify that the Bible's using is describing the determination. It's describing the tenacity. It's describing the hatred with which we are fighting sin. Similarly, 1 Peter 2 says, abstain from evil desires. Abstain from sinful desires. Why? Quote, which war against your soul. That's why the strong language. God is saying, fight against this thing, this force, this destructive, this degenerative, this cancer-like force that is warring against your soul. He says, kill it. Don't try to reduce it. Kill it. And this is why Matthew 5 says, you probably remember it, Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Chop it off. You're better without your hand. If your eye causes you to, we had it, Jesus. If your eye causes you to sin, he goes on to say, gouge it out. You're better off without it than having sin in your life. What he's saying is, you want a little sin in your life like you want a little cancer in your life. I know that sounds hard. I know it's heavy. But God is lovingly trying to help us. I think the devil tries to think, don't be such a prude, you know, sinner, 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 sin this, sin that, sin that. Yeah, and we don't have to act a certain way. That's not what this is talking about. It's an attitude that sin is not a, a minor thing. You want a little sin in your life like you want a little cancer in your life. And that's why Jesus is saying these things with such strong language. Hand sins, hand causing you to sin, just chop it off. I cause you to sin, gouge it out. You're better off without it. Is that a literal message? Is that a literal example Jesus has given us? No. It's not a literal example to go chopping off our hands, but it is a literal message. Sin is warring against your soul. It is destructive. It is degenerative. It is cancer-like. You want nothing to do with it. Reminds me of this guy, let's call, we'll call him Anthony this morning. Anthony had this uh, funny, uh, like, Motorola flip phone, right? And, uh, and it couldn't do anything. And the guys, they, they, they'd laugh at it, we'd, we'd, we'd look at it, we'd throw it around, be like, look at this thing, flip phone, yeah. And uh, it, it just looks so funny. And then we pass it around and we'd like pull up the antenna on it and wave the antenna around, Star Trek, yeah. And we'd press the buttons and it made all these funny noises. And the phone couldn't do anything but make a phone call. The phone couldn't do it, it's not like a modern iPhone. He didn't get an iPhone, he got this little flip phone. And the flip phone had no internet access and it had no apps, no apps like Google Maps. So then Anthony also had 
in the back of his car all these paper maps. And those look so funny too. Like those are what you see in the movie. Had all these lines and dots and things like that. And so the guys start in on the maps now. And they start laughing at the maps and throwing the maps around the car. And oh, Mr. Archaeologist, Mr. Treasure Hunter, have you pinpointed our location? And they're, they're laying in on the maps now. And Anthony pulls over the car, slams on the brakes and says, listen, you jokers, you know why I got this flip phone with the antenna, can't do anything but make a phone call? He says, I don't need Google Maps. He says, I don't need Instagram. He says, I don't need real-time sports scores. You know what I need? I need holiness. That's what I need. I want this sin out of my life. I want this sin out of my life for my wife, for my kids, for my God, and for myself. Anthony knew there was nothing sinful with an iPhone that has internet access. But Anthony also knew about his weakness. And he knew if he had a phone in his pocket with constant internet access, he would probably go to places on the internet that he shouldn't go to. That's why Anthony had a, had a flip phone. You say, ah, Anthony, loosen up a little bit. I mean, a flip phone with no internet access, how are you gonna, how are you gonna get through life? You don't, uh, loosen up a little bit, come on. Um, but Anthony knew that the Bible never speaks about having an attitude towards sin that is complacent and chill and loosen up a little bit and just get comfortable with this sin on it in your life. He knew he's, he wants to be okay with a little sin like he's okay with a little cancer. Anthony, Anthony, what are his kids going to say when they learn their dad, why their dad uses a flip phone. What are his kids gonna say when they learn why their dad uses a flip phone? All right, good. How about his kids say, I'm so blessed. I am so, so blessed because I grew up in a church that is honest about sin and weakness and my dad's a hero for fighting back against sin. How about they say that? How about we think that way about sin? Yeah, Dave, but Anthony still struggles with sin to this day. He still stumbles in lust today. All that hassle, all that hassle with the antenna and the maps and all that, he still stumbles into lust. He's still not the man he should be today. Yeah, he's not the man he, he should be. But the green line at the bottom, he's not the man he used to be. And yeah, he's not perfect, but he's walking in newness of life. And yes, he still struggles. Yes, he still gets tangled up sometime. Sure, he struggles. But he's struggling well. And he's winning. That's what fighting sin is about. It's not about 
perfection. It's about struggling well in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not about perfection. It's about walking in newness of life. It's about winning that way. Romans 8, remember the green line doesn't go straight up. Romans 8 is not asking you if you're perfect, if you're sinless. Romans 8 is not asking you that. Romans 8 is asking you if you are waging an all-out war against your sin. That's what Romans 8 is asking you. And then it takes a surprising shift in verse 14, and this is our second point. The Holy Spirit assures us that God is our Father. And it's like, whoop, wow, this is a new direction. For all, verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Let's draw our attention to a few words in this. By the way, we'll unpack this, but in my opinion, those are perhaps the most astounding truths in the whole Bible. Let's drill down. Adoption. Notice that word adoption and that word children of God. Do you know what that is saying? Do you know what that is saying? What that's not saying is God searched high and low and found a great family that adopted you and made you their child. God is saying he adopted you as his own child into his own family. Do you understand how awesome that is? God himself has adopted you as his own child into his own family. Even the angels are not children of God. Even the angels are not this close to God. We Christians, we are God's closest circle of relationships. That is awesome. Next words, let's drill down. Abba Father. Do you notice those words? Abba Father. Abba Father, this is so huge. Abba Father, it means dear father, daddy father. And when Jewish readers during the biblical times, when they read that and they see Abba Father, they would have been astounded with this verse. And let me tell you why. It, uh, my wife and I, I, I call my wife Jess my love, my bride. Uh, any of you have endearing terms that you call your spouse? We can do audience participation on this. Just yell it out. Any endearing terms that you call your spouse? That, you, that would be appropriate to share uh, this morning. <laughs> Hubby? What is it? Hubby. Hubby. Oh, we'll, go with, we'll go with hubby. Okay. Um, now, would you mind if I ask your name? What is it? 
Marty, okay. So if, um, yeah, so D is like, hello, hubby, I love you, hubby. Um, hubby, I got some uh, guac, you wanna try it? You know, that's just what she calls her, her hubby. She's going through life. Then Marty sees Alphonse come into church and she says, good morning, hubby. <laughs> D would be like, time out, <laughs> time out. Hey, what are you doing? That's what I call him. We have this, Alphonse and I, my husband and I, have this like intimate, um, special, um, romantic, one-of-a-kind relationship with each other. It's called marriage. You might have heard of it. You're not in this. You're not in this. And this is how the Jewish readers would have heard this Abba Father, dear father, dear uh, daddy father. It's kind of like when I call my wife Jess, my love, my bride. And when, when they see God, this is so huge, when they see God say, I want you to call me what my other son Jesus calls me. These are the Abba Father, are the exact words, dear father, Daddy, Father, are the exact words that Jesus always referred when he spoke to God the Father. God the Father, Yahweh, and God the Son, Jesus, have the most wonderful, the most intimate, the most exclusive relationship ever. That's it. There's no relationship in the history of the universe that has been more intimate and more wonderful and more exclusive than the relationship between God the Father, Yahweh, and God the Son, Jesus. And God is saying, I want you, Christian, to call me Abba Father. I want you, Christian, to call me dear father, daddy father. I want you, Christian, to call me the same thing my other son calls me, Jesus. That is huge. I don't even have the words to illustrate that. You're in the family. You're in the family is what it's saying. You, Christian, are in the family forever. Not a great family, God's own family forever. And then he goes on to say, and you will be fellow heirs with Christ. Did you pick up on those words? Fellow heirs with Christ. What he's saying is, What does Christ get as heir? Christ is the heir. God the Father says, I heir all things to my son Christ. What does he get? All things. Hebrews 1, 2, quote, everything. And now he says, I want you to call me the same thing my other son calls me, Jesus, what Jesus calls me. And I'm giving you 
everything that I've given to my other son. You are on the same positional standing with me as my other son, Jesus. You get it all. God is saying, all that I own is yours now, Christian. This is huge. You, Christian, have the full rights, the full privileges, the full riches as sons of God. You, Christian, Jesus has the most private, exclusive relationship with the Father, and you're in that now. You're in that now. You're in the family forever. It reminds me uh, of this time. I was, at a, I was uh, visiting Pepperdine University. Um, anyone ever been there? Okay, some of you. So I go up to the top of the hill. Pepperdine's on this huge hill on the side of a mountain. And I turn over my shoulder and I look at Malibu Beach behind me. And it was beautiful. It takes your breath away. And I turned back to my buddy and I said, I don't know how the kids in this school get any work done here because I know where I would be every day. And I stored away that memory in my mind. It's very picturesque. I can see it now. And I stored that away in my mind, and I put a little cork on it. Because sometimes in this life, things are hard. Sometimes in this life, you make sacrifices to follow Jesus. Sometimes in this world, you feel like, man, I feel like I'm missing out the way I'm living my life with Jesus and for Jesus. It's, it's not a good thought, but sometimes you feel that way. And I stored that away in my mind. And I said, I, the Bible says, the Bible, God promises, I am an heir. I am the heir next to his son, Jesus, not, not underneath, but next to his son, Jesus, to the new heavens and the new earth. I own Malibu Beach. I own Malibu Beach, not the big house with the nice land facing the ocean. I owe them all, all of them lining up the beach. I own all of Southern California, all of Southern California. And if I were like, ah, but sometimes I get in the mood for some San Fran, a little Northern vibe. It's like, you've got that too, Dave. You've got San Francisco too. Ah, but sometimes a little something a little exotic, something a little dramatic, Hawaii. You've got all those islands too, Dave. All the Hawaiian islands, you own those too. You own it all. Heirs to the new heavens and the new earth. Did you notice these words too? Heirs of God. You know what else you get? You get all of creation, and you also get the creator. You get everything that God made, and you also get God, a personal relationship with God. At the top of that list of wonderful things we get is God, at the top of that list. Sometimes it feels like what my heart wants, what my heart hungers for is more Malibu Beach. 
But the Bible says what my heart really wants, what my heart really hungers for is more God, more Jesus. All the right desires in my heart, all the right desires in my heart will find their deepest satisfaction in Jesus. I think I want Malibu. What I really want is God, and Malibu's the closest thing I can conceive of in my mind to try and fill that humongous God-shaped void in my heart. And when I'm running after more Malibu in my life, doing all the things I do where I can get a little more Malibu, what I'm really trying to do is get a little more God. And what he's saying in this is, you've got me. You get God. God gets you and you get God. This is what the psalmist was saying when he says, one thing I ask. What's he going to say? You only get one thing? What's going to be that one thing? One thing I ask, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing upon his beauty seeking him in his temple, seeking him in his temple. Just think of that as like thinking about God all day long. The one who made Malibu Beach, the one who holds the stars in his hands, you, Christian, get him. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. In his right hands are eternal delights. You get God. How does God feel about all that, Dave? I don't, how does he feel about me hanging around heaven, his home, his family? I don't feel it for all eternity. I don't feel like I bring a ton to this arrangement. Um, how does God feel about you? Here's how he feels about you, Isaiah 62. As a bridegroom, think about a bridegroom, a groom on his wedding day. Think about that. So many of you said, you know what my favorite part of the wedding is? What? I already know what you're going to say. Seeing the groom's face when the bride first appears and walks down the aisle. We love that moment because we love how much a groom delights and rejoices in his bride. What does Isaiah 62 said? God says, Christian, know this. Christian, know this. This is coming from a God who cannot exaggerate. He says, Christian, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so my soul rejoices over you, Christian. How does God feel about you being in his family forever? He rejoices over you like a groom rejoices over his bride. That's how God feels about you. How does God feel about you? Zephaniah 3.17. He delights in us with loud singing. It would be one thing if God just sang over, like sang about me. I'd be like, God sings about me. He makes songs about me. He's so happy about me. But he sings loud. It's almost like God almost loses it a bit. He's so excited. He delights so much in you. 
Do you believe that? Do you believe that, that that's how God feels about you? Christian, this should give us absolute assurance, absolute assurance that he adopted us as his own children into his own family. And he says, call me the same thing my other son Jesus calls me. And you get exactly what my other son Jesus gets, everything. And I delight over you like a groom delights over his bride. And I rejoice over you with loud singing. You, Christian, are the apple of my eye. And it's why I made everything for me and you to live happily together forever after. This should give us absolute assurance that God loves you, God rejoices in you, and God delights in you. When he looks at Kristen, he delights. When he looks at Marty, he delights. Absolute assurance of that. That's what Romans 8 is about, giving you absolute assurance. That's why the Holy Spirit is inside of you now saying, it's true. The Holy Spirit inside of you is saying, look at the text. It's true. This should give us a profound, a profound sense of security a profound sense of safety that I'm in God's family and I'm in God's love. And no matter what happens to me in this life, I hope it goes well and I'll have some tough times, but God still loves me and I'm going to heaven when I die. This should change the way we feel right now. So is that middle phase that we had up there earlier Is that middle phase where the green line is going up and down? What's that about? Is that about fighting sin? No. That's about enjoying God. Christianity is not about the absence of sin. Christianity is about the presence of God. That's the point of it all. The point of it all isn't sinlessness. The point of it all is presence of God. Christianity is about you and God together forever, happily ever after. That is what Christianity is about. That is what the meaning of life is about. And sin, sin is that thing, that destructive force that can drive a wedge in between you and God. That's why we fight sin for the presence of God. That's not what the Pharisees fought sin for, though, is it? That's why we fight sin. We're hard on sin because we're big on God. Point three now in our outline. The Spirit leads us through suffering to glory. And if children, verse 17 says, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, comma, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Last phrase again, provided we suffer with him 
in order that we may be glorified with him also. That middle phase, when the line is going up and down, it's hard sometimes, isn't it? Fighting sin can be hard. Persecution for being a Christian can be hard. God's calling on our lives can be hard. Hanging in there in a tough marriage can be hard. But the Spirit leads us through those sufferings, through the sufferings, into glory. Let's close our time with this. Let's think about Kathy Grudier for a second. Those of you who are newer here, Kathy Grudier was uh, a woman that helped build this church as we know it today, um, and she was very near and dear to many of us. Let's take a moment and think about Kathy Grudier next to Romans 8 and tie this together. Think about Kathy. It was implausible for her to follow the flesh, to follow the sin nature, to follow sin. It was just implausible. She felt no allegiance to the sin nature, no allegiance to sin. She knew that sin leads to slavery, leads to misery, leads to death. It has done nothing good for me. I have no ties to it anymore. She knew the Holy Spirit leads her in life and freedom and joy. Kathy had an unbreakable loyalty to God and his spirit. When she was very, very young, she had lost everything. She had no life. She had no future. But God saw her, and he adopted her as his own child into his own family. And he said, Kathy, all that is mine is yours now. Being a child of God, being a follower of Jesus, wasn't always easy on Kathy, was it? When she was in that middle phase with the green line going up and down, good days, bad days, she suffered with Christ as she fought sin. She suffered with Christ as a missionary. She suffered with Christ in battling cancer. And now she's in glory with Christ at the top of that phase, right? Do you remember that photo that she framed of her wedding day in her house. Do you remember how young she looked in that photo like a teenager? Kathy is the most beautiful, the most mature, the most young looking she has ever been right now. Do you remember how happy Kathy was? Happy woman. Do you remember that photo of her wedding day, how happy she looked on her wedding day? Kathy is the happiest she has ever been right now. Let's pray. Father, 
we thank you, thank you, thank you for our new lives in Christ. We love you so much. You mean everything to us. Amen.